Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina. I'm your host, Dr. Melina Jampolis, and I'm a board-certified physician nutrition specialist. And I started this podcast to take the latest science and really help you figure out what you should do, can do, and eventually will do when it comes to food, fitness, and everything that's involved with helping you become the best version of yourself. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be on your podcast. So I'm Steve Zizel, and I am a professor of nutrition and pediatrics at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And um, I am a leader in the area of choline, which we're going to talk about, and precision nutrition, which is the understanding of the relationship between genetics, metabolism, and your nutrient needs. Yeah, and that's that's the exciting part. So you and I have, I think we actually officially met um, in Cambridge, England, uh, or that's the first time I remember in, in 2019, uh, back when the world was a somewhat more normal place at, at the um, Nutrigenetics Conference in Cambridge, England. And um, I think you... you uh, just to over uh, emphasize, you are really considered one of the world's experts in in choline, which uh, is a uh I assume for most of my podcast listeners, they have no idea what that is. So I kind of want to go back to the beginning um, because as you know, for my new company, Ahara, which is you know taking a food first precision nutrition approach, Choline is one of the key nutrients that I've identified that most people don't know anything about. And, you know, I think there maybe have been some, you know, public health uh, decisions in the last few decades that have made it, uh, maybe we've thrown the baby out with the backwater, uh, yeah, bathwater. But what, um, you know, what started your interest in in choline in the first place? Was it because it's only been considered an essential nutrient since uh, 1998, which I was surprised about. But when did your interest and in, in research in this area start? And then how did it kind of segue in with the precision nutrition? So in, in the late 70s, 1980 or so, I was doing my doctoral work at MIT. And I was working on a brain messenger chemical called acetylcholine. But I found that um, uh, in during pregnancy, um, choline levels are extremely high in the fetus and in, in, in all mammalian uh, fetuses and stays high for about the first year of life in the human. And I wondered what choline, uh, where it came from, what the story of it was. And when I read the textbooks, it said that humans have no need of eating this nutrient because they can make it themselves. But I knew that uh, mice and rats and dogs can't make it themselves. And I looked at the evidence that humans could make it themselves and found that a lacking. And so when I became an assistant professor in my first job, my first uh, grant proposal to the NIH was to take people and 
um, feed them a diet missing this nutrient and ask what happened to them to prove that humans don't require it. And so um, in that study, which was funded by the NIH, um, we took people, put them into a research hospital, controlled all of their nutrition, and um, kept them in there for um, seven weeks, a long and difficult study for the people and for the people doing the study. Um, and what we found was that almost all men and almost all postmenopausal women had to eat choline or they developed fatty liver, liver damage, and muscle damage. All of this reversed when we gave them choline back in their diet. And it took about three days to a week to fully reverse. And so with that study, um, we proved that men and postmenopausal women have to eat choline or they get sick. And that established that humans require this nutrient. Now for premenopausal women, women who still were making estrogen, we discovered that only about half of them had to eat choline during the seven weeks. And if they didn't, uh, the other half um, uh, didn't get sick at all, didn't develop fatty liver or muscle damage, but the half who needed choline did. What we found was that um, there is a pathway in metabolism that can make choline from scratch ingredients and therefore doesn't have to come from the diet. And this pathway is turned on, the gene is turned on by estrogen. And so that explained why some, about half of women, don't need to eat choline because they can make some of their own and that decreases their dependence on getting it in their diet. The other half of women got sick. And why would they get sick if they could do this? And what we found was they have a different spelling of this gene that can make choline from scratch, the genetic spelling of it. And because of this genetic difference, um, their pathway, their gene couldn't be turned on by estrogen. So they were reduced to the sad state of men who have to eat choline and postmenopausal women who no longer make enough estrogen to turn on this pathway. So um, that was the evidence that we presented to the uh, National Academy of Sciences that eventually got a requirement uh, set by the US government for choline. In related research, um, we found that, as I said, babies have very high choline levels and during pregnancy, they're getting it because mom is pumping choline across a percentage of the baby. And so a pregnant woman's demand for choline is extremely high. Um, and that after birth, the 
breast, the mammary gland, is pumping choline into milk. And so again, the mother's demand for choline is very high. And probably that's why women evolved to have this special backup pathway that made them less dependent on their diet. Um, they could make their own. And the half of women who couldn't do this were at special risk because they didn't have this special backup pathway. And at a time of very high demand, we I've been working with a company called uh, Genate, um, which is making the genetic test available to pregnant women and um, so that they will know whether they have this common gene spelling difference or not. And if they do, they can take special precautions to eat enough in their diet or um, we're making a, a, a prenatal uh, supplement that mothers can take while they, uh, if they're not sure they can eat enough. And so women who want to learn more about this could go to our, the website genate.com, G-E-N-A-T-E.com. And there's also nutrition counseling by a dietitian on that site to help them make sense of their information and decide what they could eat in their diet that might help deliver that. So let me ask you a few questions, though, because you've sure. brought you've talked a lot about some super interesting stuff, and and it's like, you know, you know, really pioneering work. Obviously, I mean, you essentially discovered a an essential nutrient. But so so what happens? Um, I, I'm curious, first of all, in that because I, you know. Obviously, choline plays a role in brain health as well, and there's kind of a, a an evolving field that is focusing on, you know, uh, that perhaps due to this genetic predisposition and, and also the fact that we stopped eating eggs a few decades ago, right. which are because of the concerns about cholesterol and, and them being one of the leading sources of choline in the American diet. Did you do any... Um, neurologic testing during that seven week stay or was it were you looking more for acute liver and muscle so we were mainly looking um for um effects in liver and muscle because we knew that's what uh, mice and rats developed when they were deprived of choline um, but we've done a lot of research on choline's role in brain development and what we've shown um, is that the nerve stem cells that will form the developing brain have to have choline during a very critical period in development. Um, and if they have choline, they can multiply and form the cells that will later form the memory center, uh, some other areas of brain, and the retina for vision. And when choline is missing, we took it away from pregnant mice. What we found is, is that the babies had far fewer nerve stem cells to form the brain. They didn't form properly the layers of brain that must be formed for normal function. And the babies born of these mothers who got less choline uh, 
performed much worse on memory testing throughout their lives. And in fact, this wasn't our work, but research from Duke University, um, as the mice aged, those born of mothers who had higher choline in their diet never became senile as they got older. So it appears that um, if you get lost at the airport parking lot trying to find where you parked your car and your memory isn't as good, it may be because your mother, when you were in utero and in the first year of life, first few years of life, wasn't delivering enough choline to you across the placenta and in breast milk. And so your brain never formed as well. In the mouse models, giving choline back after this critical period in time uh, didn't solve the problem. You still, the mice still had defective memory. Giving it during the critical period of time made the mice develop brain, better brain structure and function. So there's no hope for us if our mothers didn't eat eggs. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I say, well, I think you started out with a, uh, a structural pro problem. Um, there is, you still have these nerve stem cells in your brain, just fewer of them than when you're in early development. And you have them through late middle age. And so probably um, you can still drive those stem cells to make uh, some replacement nerves for the ones you're losing as you age. But we haven't studied that carefully. We state most of our work was in the early life period uh, and brain development. So you brought up some interesting things too, because I think um, you know fatty liver disease is is really markedly underappreciated in this country, um, and and is really I think with a large majority of the population being overweight or obese, it's very strongly associated with belly fat. I, how much of of fatty liver is attributable to you know choline and and these genetic uh, predispositions and and how much is just lifestyle? How much do we have control over, really? Right. So I, I don't know the exact answer, but I can tell you that um, there are a number of uh, gene spelling differences that affect how much choline you require in your diet. And that's because choline and the metabolism of folate and B12 and methionine are all tightly interrelated. And so if you have a problem making choline, your demand for metabolizing folate to make a, a molecule called methylfolate is greatly increased. If you have a problem in making methylfolate, then your demand for choline is greatly increased because they interact differences that we predicted would make people require more choline in their diet, we found that we could predict who would have the most fatty liver and who would have the least fatty liver in a study of 450 people who uh, were seen um, at the Duke University Medical Center um, and had a, a liver biopsy so we could actually measure how much fatty liver they had. 
So the people with the genetic signature that meant they required more choline had more fatty liver. And what was interesting is, is when they were thin, in other words, eating a diet that didn't have excess calories, they weren't making excess fat and having the genetics in their liver and, and having the gene spelling signature didn't make any difference. But when they were obese and eating excess calories and making a lot of fat in their liver, then the genetic signature uh, was completely predictive um, with a 90% accuracy. And so uh, the reason for that is, is the defect that having problems in choline and not getting enough choline causes is you can't make the envelope with which you can mail the fat out of the liver to the rest of the body to be used so it backs up in the liver. And so that's not not being able to export fat from your liver isn't that important if you're not making a lot. But if you're eating excess calories and making a lot of fat in the liver from those calories, then your ability to export it, to send it out to the rest of the body becomes very important because high fat in the liver is uh, associated with a problem in uh, insulin metabolism and makes you insulin insensitive. And so you develop what's called type two diabetes with that. So having fatty liver, having uh, type two diabetes is part of a syndrome seen in more and more people who are obese and um, it uh, makes physicians very uncomfortable. They want to get rid of it. <laughs> well, we want to help people, right? We want That's to right. help them optimize their health. So, right, it's not um, good for you. No, 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 of course not. So let's, I, I think, um, you know, again, just to continue on the importance of choline, uh, some of your other research, talk a little bit about the muscle impact, because I know you've done some really fascinating research, uh, I think, with soldiers or Marines. And I just want people to understand the breadth of relevance that choline has and really the importance, because I think this is one of the most exciting and potentially beneficial areas for precision nutrition and nutrigenetics that people could actually act on immediately if they understood their risk better to optimize their health. Yes. And so, um, you know, so choline, you know, is used for many things. And that's why it has such broad effects. As I, I said earlier, it makes the nerve messenger chemical acetylcholine, which your brain and muscles use to uh, send messages. It makes the membranes, the wrappers around your cells, uh, what the major component in those membranes is made out of choline. Um, and it, it donates uh, uh, something called a methyl group to allow you to um, get rid of excess homocysteine, which co can be a risk factor for heart disease, but also to methylate your genes, and that sends signals to turn genes on and off. So it's a very important and can act in many ways. The muscle story is as follows. When we deprive people of choline in the research study I talked to you about, about 90% of them presented when they got sick from needing choline with fatty liver and liver damage, liver cell death. But 10%, instead of first presenting with liver damage, presented 
with muscle damage and they started to break down their muscles and release the proteins inside of their muscle cells into their blood and that's how we could tell they were breaking down their muscles and uh, those 10% of the population we found later have a genetic signature um, and we can predict who they will be and they have trouble transporting choline from the blood into the muscle cell and trapping it in the muscle cell so the muscle can use it. So those people with that specific gene signature break down muscle when, uh, when eating a low choline diet. And uh, we've gone on and working with uh, collaborators like Martin Kohlmeier um, at UNC, we've looked at um, uh, soldiers in training um, and found that um, those with this signature um, ha have uh, more muscle breakdown when they undergo the strenuous exercise of basic training. Um, and again, I'm working with a, a company called SNP Therapeutics, um, and that company's website, again, is snptherapeutics.com. Um, but um, they uh, have a test that they're coming out with um, for people who want to check whether they are breaking down muscle excessively when um, they are eating a diet that's poor in choline. Um, the other place that choline is very important, surprisingly, turns out to be in how people's men's sperm works. Um, when we um, did our human study, we made a mouse model in which we deleted each of the genes that we found in the human study made people susceptible to low choline so we could understand more about what they do. And when we deleted one of those genes, we found that the mice were, male mice were infertile. They couldn't have babies. And when we looked at their sperm, they had a number of abnormalities. The batteries in their sperm called mitochondria that make an energy source called ATP didn't work right and their ATP levels in their sperm were extremely low. And we could reverse that if we gave them a nutritional mixture that bypassed the blockage caused by their genetic misspellings that they had. And um, in men, we see the same thing. We can look at their sperm and see that the batteries, the mitochondria don't look right and that they have very low ATP if they have these genetic spelling differences. And again, we're hoping we can develop a, a treatment that will make bypass these roadblocks of metabolism. And again, SNP Therapeutics is actively working on that and, and about to initiate a clinical trial in this area to develop both a genetic test and a treatment for men who are having fertility problems due to this. Now, is this common? We found that among men in general in North Carolina, where our laboratories are, we found that about seven to nine percent of men have this problem. And we're currently working with a fertility group who have patients who have fertility problems. And we are, 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 guess 
that the number of people within this special group who already have problems in fertility will be higher than seven to nine percent. So it's an appreciable portion of men who could have this problem. So it, choline is an important nutrient. Again, where does it come from? You can eat it. Uh, eggs are an excellent source. Um, Their USDA is working with our research uh, laboratory at UNC to develop a large database of the choline contents of different foods. And people can go online and do, Google choline USDA and they'll get a table of which foods contain how much choline. So they, their dietitians or health practitioners can help them to develop a diet higher in choline. And if they're not sure they can get it, um, they can, um, there are also dietary supplements available that contain choline, a number of sources. Um, finally, um, when you have these genetic roadblocks, it's not just choline that you need. You need to get the other nutrients that increase the demand for choline or decrease the demand for choline if you get the nutrients um, so that you can optimize um, the bypass around your various genetic roadblocks. So that requires a special mixture of nutrients can be done with the diet. It's just a little harder. Yeah, no, I think this is this is fascinating. And I, I haven't updated you lately on, on my new company, Ahara, but I mean, this is you know, because because of your work, I, I really have have felt that choline was such an important nutrient to address in, in multiple different populations and and uh, for multiple different potential reasons for health optimization. And you know, we've built part of the platform that we've built is to uh, empower people to uh, through their diet as much as possible optimize their choline intake because, you know, it, especially if you have a genetic issue, it's not something that you can eat a few eggs for a month and then you're good to optimize. I mean, this is an ongoing thing. We can't do genetic engineering yet. So I, I love everything that you've said. And it's, it's perfectly in line with kind of the philosophy that I've taken with my new company. But let's talk about, I mean, because I know you've done a lot of work with medical foods. I'm not, you yeah. know, I'm not sure which company. So, I mean, and I think that, you know, I've talked about this, that the idea of supplements, particularly with choline, is in a, is one of the few areas where there, at least we don't know, there's there may be a downside in terms of choline supplementation for some people with the um, metabolite TMAO. What's your, do you have thoughts on that? Because that's something that I've, I've really been struggling with. I, I feel comfortable you know, encouraging people to eat more choline in their diet, although that can be challenging because a lot of choline-rich foods are animal products, and and many people, for whatever reason, may be limiting those. So um, I'm curious the approach that you've taken to, to both the medical foods and the supplementation approach in somebody who is genetically predisposed to have these spelling errors as you describe them. Well, that's why... Um it's been so important to make the genetic tests available that GenAid is doing right now for pregnant women. Um, the you don't want to be taking large amounts of new, of these nutrients without knowing that you really stand to benefit from it. If you can make your own, 
you don't want to say, well, look, half of women have this problem. I don't need to get tested. I'll just take it. Because taking extra when you don't need it has side effects for you. And so um, why take it if you don't need it? On the other hand, if you do need it um, and you have this genetic problem and you aren't certain that you can consistently eat a diet that bypasses these genetic problems, then it's worth taking um, a mixture of nutrients, choline being one of them, but there are other nutrients that you need to have. Um, and uh, because the risk to the developing infant is great and long-term, and um, the risk to benefit is uh, ratio is is saying you sh it's worth doing this. If you have no benefit, then the risk to benefit ratio will tell you don't go and start treating yourself with uh, various nutrients that people tell you to. So this is very important for the pregnant mother to have an optimal baby. And in the other stories that we've been telling, for the couple who has a problem with male infertility and can't have a baby, it, the benefit is great enough that it's worth treating the man uh, during the period of time that they're trying to make a baby. And the sperm's lifespan in the man is about 100 days. So the treatment is about 120 days to make sure you're bracketing that. If muscle uh, breakdown um, is a problem and you can't maintain muscle mass, that's a risk. A benef uh, you'd have a benefit from treating that and therefore uh, taking more choline makes sense. The risk from choline is a story that choline is broken down in, in the gut to make a molecule called TMA, which is then taken up and your liver converts it to TMAO. And there's a correlation between TMAO levels in blood and the risk of having heart disease and stroke. Now, the complication is that though there are many good epidemiological studies in which they take people who've had heart disease and stroke and show that those people have higher levels of TMAO in their blood, that isn't a cause and effect study. It is an association. And it turns out that the only way the body gets rid of TMAO is by uh, urinating it out and through the kidneys. And if you have heart disease, atherosclerosis, it doesn't only affect the heart, it affects the kidney and kidney function drops. There is a, a, a risk of having heart disease uh, associated with taking too much choline, but it could be just an association that's due to uh, a, um, a comorbidity, kidney problems always go with heart problems. So there's good data on both sides. Uh, for me, the recent studies looking at 18-year-old, um, starting following kids, they're 18 years old into their uh, 20s, and looking at the onset of um, atherosclerotic heart disease in those people, you start seeing it, they start putting calcium into their aortas, and that's the beginning of, of heart disease, they have no association with TMAO.
So if it were a cause, it should show up then, I think. But we can't rule it out. <laughs> I'm sorry. So the end message is don't start treating yourself, even if it's with nutrients, if you don't have a benefit. And so take the, it's worth doing the genetic testing to know that you're one of the people who likely has a bigger benefit and therefore can it's worth taking the risk that you might have more heart disease when you're older elderly and and um again i think that risk is small but why take it if you don't need to yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. And that's certainly been my philosophy. You know, as a physician, I take the first do no harm uh, oath quite seriously. So um, I, I think this is, I, I, I hope listeners have enjoyed this. I, I think it's a fascinating topic. I think uh, I thank you for your pioneering work in this area. And, and I think um it's a fascinating story. And as I said, I think it's, I, I don't know if you agree, but I think it's its one of the most interesting and, and kind of ready for prime time applications of precision nutrition out there. I, I don't think the field of precision nutrition is as advanced as some companies would make it. But I, I, I believe that, you know, people like you and I are following the science in trying to help people, not just the hype. And I think this is one area where the the science is, is quite robust. And, and thanks in very large part to all the work that you do and, and, and have done and, and I hope continue to do. Um, is there anything, you give us a sneak peek for anything new on the on the choline horizon? Are you doing anything, uh, a, anything else interesting or that we can be on the lookout for, uh, for study results? I know you've got your hands uh, I, in a lot of different companies trying to help right. people. I, I, yes, yeah, so I, I think we have just completed a study asking can we find some biomarkers in blood, metabolomics, et cetera, that would help us to say who is um, choline, uh, low in choline uh, from a blood test. That isn't available because you'd think you could measure blood choline and see it. Um, it works a bit, but the problem is uh, after you get a little low in choline, um, your body starts breaking down stores of choline in your body to try to keep the blood level up. So it drops a little, which suggests that you might be low, but it doesn't drop more than about 30%. And then it's being held up uh, by sort of cannibalism of the other choline stores in your body to try, because it's so important that tissues get this. So we're, tr that we're working on a paper is uh, in, about to be submitted shortly and and maybe there will be a blood test that health professionals can use to predict it right now the best thing um, is to see do you have the genetic predilection for having problems with choline and if you do then get the counseling uh, for how to eat well and also um, it, there are uh, supplement products and you, you talked about medical foods medical foods likely you can't make a medical food for pregnancy because by definition a medical food has to be used to treat a disease and being pregnant isn't being having a disease medical foods and supplements are right bordering on each other and it's yeah. just a matter of um 
the level of um, FDA uh, review that you go under before uh, marketing it to a person. So in any event, I, I think that people should get um, more information and, and your new company can help them get um, some advice. And as I said, Genate is has a, a dietary uh, RD providing uh, nutritional advice to people who want to come to that site. And the genetic test is commercially available right now and um, well worth trying. Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's very exciting. This and and again, I, I think it's uh, you know whether I, I think almost any listener could connect in some way, whether it's brain health, muscle health, you know, avoiding frailty with aging. If you happen to be one of those one in ten that has that genetic predisposition, I think fertility is interesting. Certainly, fatty liver disease, which is markedly underdiagnosed. I, I think there's so many reasons to kind of know where you're at with Colleen. We could do a little public health campaign. I'll, co I'll come yeah. up with a little little song and dance. You and I could do it together. No, but um, I, thank you so much for your time. I, this has been truly fascinating and I look forward. The biomarker, potential biomarker is exciting because obviously that's a big part of what I'm doing is, you know, genetics, epigenetics and biomarker testing. I don't think you can really look at anything in isolation. Um, and, and taking, you know, a food first and being very smart about supplementation. I think that's really important that probably most doctors, uh, you know, that aren't like you don't understand and take seriously enough. So again, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate your contribution to the field, and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more of all the exciting things that we're doing. And we'll link to all the companies that you're involved with in the notes for the episode. Thank so. you. And I appreciate your giving me the opportunity because uh, when I started this research, I was pretty much alone. Now there's several hundred investigators doing research in the area, and, and it's just starting to uh, penetrate clinical practice. So that's great. Yes, it's, it, and it needs to. So I'm glad I can help with uh, getting the word out. Thank you so much. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. You take care. I really hope that you found the information in this podcast helpful. I know I did, and I welcome your feedback because I'm doing this for you. So if there's topics that you want to learn about, something that you want to learn more about, if there's something that you want to explain further that I've talked about, please let me know. Comment on my Instagram page, send me an email, melina at drmelina.com, and definitely hit that subscribe button because I'm going to have great new content every single week and I don't want you to miss an episode. That's it for now. Stay practically healthy.